You are listening to Critical Mass, coast-to-coast radio show, a national business talk show focused on exploring topics of interest to CEOs who are leading middle market companies with your host, Richard Franzi. Welcome to today's episode of Critical Mass, coast-to-coast. I am your host, Rick Franzi. This business talk show airs live on Tuesdays and Wednesdays at 4 p.m. and Thursdays at our special time of 3 p.m. All of those times are Pacific Standard Time. Uh, all of our shows can be heard live here exclusively on Orange County radio station, octalkradio.net, spanning the globe with our message of the power of peer learning. If you're listening to this show as a podcast, we encourage you to listen live during our broadcast times. Critical Mass Coast to Coast is brought to you through a partnership of Critical Mass for Business with Renaissance Executive Forums, business owners in select markets across North America. Renaissance Executive Forums is an international organization committed to helping members take their businesses to the next level. If you'd like to learn more about Renaissance Executive Forums, visit their website, executiveforums.com. This show is brought to you by our commercial advertisers, Brandman University, Commercial Bank of California, Decision Toolbox, Smart Business Magazine, Succession Strategies, and Center Club. The goal for this show is to help you, our listening audience of CEOs running middle market firms, to make better and more informed decisions. We have a featured guest today. He is Leo Munez. He is the Director of Risk Advisory Services for Paget Stratemann. Leo, welcome to the program. Thanks, Rick. Thank you for having me on the program today. It's our pleasure. Leo, let's start by asking you to provide a little bit of your professional background and also help us to understand what is it that Paget Stratemann does. Well, my background, I've been a CPA here in the state of Texas for over 23 years, uh, but I don't do the typical CPA-type duties and functions that, people probably think about when they think about their CPAs, especially this time of year during tax return season. I do one tax return, I do mine, that's about it. But I deal mainly in fraud and forensic investigations and litigation type cases where attorneys may need help from the financial aspect, whether it's a civil case or a criminal case, to discern some of the facts and circumstances of each case in particular. But uh, Padgett Stratman is a CPA firm here in San Antonio, Texas, and in Austin, Texas, and they they have their typical audit and tax services. And I lead a, a consulting practice here, which we we deem we, we titled Risk Advisory Services. And, and the three main aspects of our consulting services are fraud and forensic investigations, litigation cases, merger and acquisition due diligence projects, and then any help with companies needing internal control, internal audit type work, we have a team that can help them there as well. Uh, uh, I'm very uh, interested and excited that Peter Broiler, who is our business partner with Renaissance Executive Forums in San Antonio, brought you and your firm to our attention because the topic of fraud is always in the news. Unfortunately, (laughs) though, from my perspective, most of the coverage tends to be for these large corporations when as you'll be able to tell us later in the interview, fraud happens across all business sizes. And I think, in my opinion, from my experience, middle market companies, which are the audience of our uh, that listen to our show, they're as vulnerable and, and a target as 
larger corporations are, aren't they, Leo? They sure are. And I was giving a presentation, Rick, last week about the corporate fraud environment to a group of about 200 folks out there here in San Antonio. And it was one of the slides I put together was just in the San Antonio area, the headlines that have hit the papers with different types of fraud. And my point was to bring out the different types of companies that are impacted by corporate fraud. Just in the San Antonio area over the past three years is when I went back and looked at my files of, of articles, some of the cases I've, I've worked on. But the point being is that it happens to everyone, small, mid-sized, large companies, uh, every sector, nonprofit, for-profit. I've worked on fraud investigations for companies with, say, $500,000 million, all the way up to $1.2 billion and everything in between. So no one's immune from from the susceptibility of fraud. We just saw it also with the situation with Target. It's been in the news. But you're right, though, not a lot of it makes the news. We only see the high-profile cases, the Enrons, the Madoffs, everything that you see in the national media. But I'd venture to say that 75% of the cases I've been involved with have never made the news. Exactly. But uh, that doesn't mean they're not uh, very catastrophic for both the business owner, the people that are running it, and the clients. I'm speaking with Leo Munez. And, Leo, we're going to take our first commercial break here on Critical Mass Radio Show. I'm going to ask you when we come back from the break, and it'll be in about three minutes, ladies and gentlemen, so don't go anywhere. Uh, If you could categorize, you know, fraud, how you in your professional uh, practice categorize the variety and types of fraud. So will you do that for our audience when we come back, Leo? Sure, we'll we'll do. All right, we'll be right back, ladies and gentlemen, after these words from our commercial sponsors. talk about your family business? You know, that thing you put your whole life's blood, sweat, and tears into? Well, what happens when you retire or try and pass that business on to your children? At Succession Strategies, we can help you find the answers. We'll guide you through the unsettling process of protecting your family legacy and successfully passing your business on to the next generation, safely and securely ensuring that it'll both survive and thrive for generations to come. So ask yourself just one question. Can I really afford to wait? Take the first step. Take our complimentary self-assessment at SuccessionStrategies.com or call us at 714-560-9022 to set up a free consultation at your convenience. That's Succession-Strategies.com. Richard Franzi is the author of two popular business books for CEOs. His first book, Critical Mass, The Ten Explosive Powers of CEO Peer Groups, was the first book ever written on the secret value of CEO peer groups. His second book, now with newly updated information, is Critical Mass, The Power of CEO Guiding Principles. Richard's books contain powerful information to help CEOs running middle market companies gain valuable insights to improve their decision-making skills. Richard's books are available as paperbacks or Kindle versions from Amazon.com. To find them, type Richard Franzi in the search box. 
It takes 12 years to create a graduate. It takes about the same time to create a dropout. And at the end of the day, the difference between a child becoming one or the other could be you. So United Way is asking you to make a pledge. Tutor a child who needs help. Mentor a kid who needs someone on their side. Volunteer to read to children. Because when a child advances, we all advance. Be a reader. Tutor or mentor. Give. Advocate. Volunteer. Live United. Take the pledge now at liveunited.org. Brought to you by United Way and the Ad Council. Welcome back to this edition of Critical Mass Coast to Coast. I'm your host, Rick Franzi. I'd like to thank and acknowledge our listeners who download our show as a podcast. You've downloaded over 10,000 shows during the last 30 days. We here at the program appreciate your growing and continued support. All of our shows, the archives at least, can be found from our website, criticalmass4business.com. All of our live shows can be heard here exclusively on octalkradio.net. You can also find our our podcasts on iTunes, Stitcher.com, and other business-oriented podcasting services. All right, let's return to our guest, and it is he is Leo Munez. And Leo, we were talking about how you characterize fraud. Can you talk to our audience about the different types of fraud you investigate? Certainly. When we take a look at fraud schemes, they typically fall into three categories, the first one being asset misappropriation. That typically involves your your theft of cash, your, your embezzlement of checks and forgeries. It's misusing a company's resources. It could be shell companies. It's someone trying to convert cash from whatever means they can from within the company, fraudulent billing. Sometimes we see sham companies sham companies set up or, or shell companies that are set up to try to get invoices through the company's accounts payable system, again, to convert that into cash. So that's the, that's the main category where you find a lot of different types of, of activity in, in, in fraudulent situations. The second category is what we deem corruption, and those types of schemes are a little more involved typically involve more of a management position because it, that person can exert their influence in whatever type of transaction they're trying to take advantage of, where they use their influence in transactions that maybe violates their duty to the organization to benefit themselves. And this category is where you would see bribery and kickback situations, maybe extortion or conflict of interest situations, a little more involved, a little more complex. The third category is financial statement fraud, and this may not be a situation where an employee is trying to convert cash or gain financial benefit directly from a check, but this may be a situation where sales commissions are inflated in order to get a bonus check, so it has something to do with the financial statements that are that are the basis for for commission. It could be also recording fictitious revenue sometimes. Publicly traded companies are under pressure to meet street expectations on a quarterly basis for shareholder value and stock value. So this is where we see the, the Enron situations and some of the major corporations that are not no longer here because of financial statement fraud, concealing liabilities, which is what Enron did, or, or artificially inflating reported assets, some to improve their financial statement position. So those are the three main categories that when we, we take on a case, we try to filter them through those three categories. 
you know, it, it is, um, I'm always amazed at how creative, especially your employees can be when they decide to perpetrate fraud. And, and right. so I, I want to spend a couple minutes with, you know, kind of leaning on your experience, Leo, about the types of schemes that you've investigated in these middle market companies to help our CEOs understand, you know, the, what, to, what to watch for. Do you have a couple sure. examples of fraud schemes that you could share with us? I, I sure do. And, and, and you're right, small and mid-sized businesses are typically the targets for a variety of reasons. And, and in most cases, it's because there's a lack of a strong internal control environment. No one's watching the house, and they're leaving the door wide open for folks to perpetrate fraud. But there have been situations, I'm, on, I'm actually on the case right now writing a report, where you had a a manager in a construction company that was in charge of all the projects out in the field, but they were also using their influence to uh, come up with side projects and using company funds and trade accounts to perpetrate the fraud and fund the projects they were getting cash for directly were not involving the company. And that's one where they were skimming revenue straight off from the company while the company was paying for the materials and labor and the overhead for those particular construction projects. But that was a situation, that is a situation where we're running parallel either on a, on a criminal matter or a civil matter. So coming up and, and presenting the facts and circumstances to help the victimized organization discern which direction they want to go as far as prosecution is concerned. Leo, other, if I could, Leo, I, I would. Um, th- that is such a prevalent uh, scam, if I can use that word or scheme. If anyone's listening to this radio show either live or as a podcast on iTunes or Stitcher or one of our other sites, and you've ever had um, construction people come to your business or to your house, and during the course of the project, if the workers ever say, "Hey, you know, I could do this project on the side for you, and I could save That's you right. some money." I mean, is that not a red flag for that client that maybe that employee is looking to commit fraud? At, at, at the very least, it's unethical, in my opinion. And maybe in worst case, they're actually doing what you said, using the, the their employer's equipment and raw materials and never billing it through the employer. That's right. That's a huge red flag. And, and when we talk about red flags, and I talk to folks about red flags, and it, it, just about every case I've been involved in, looking back in hindsight, there were plenty of red flags that just went unnoticed, or if they were noticed, just disregarded. And I try to try to explain that red flags uh, are there for a reason. They don't necessarily mean that there is fraud being perpetrated, but they need to be looked at just to make sure they're not. It's, it, sometimes people get get locked up and I don't, I don't want to judge anybody I just uh, notice this but I don't want to make any type of judgments but that's not the case if you're a business owner or a manager it's incumbent upon you to ensure that nothing's going on and just address the, the red flags that pop up and just make sure that they don't lead to anything other than just being a coincidence yeah I, I would say too to uh, CEOs especially of construction companies or landscaping companies or anywhere where you're deploying a workforce that you're not directly observing their interactions with your clients that maybe some type of a 
post-work survey that asks questions, and maybe one of them is sort of, did we offer you any services off the book? You know, some way to get let your employees know that you're at least paying attention to that, because I, I think I, I think those types of industries are just ripe for that type of. If it's not fraud, it's certainly un- unethical behavior on the part of their employees. That's true. Talking about construction as well, a lot of construction companies go through bidding processes, and there was one case in particular where someone internally that was awarding jobs to construction companies was getting kickbacks from one in particular vendor. But what the way they were able to perpetrate that fraud and and if you're dealing with collusion, it's sometimes difficult to uncover because there's more people involved to circumvent those those controls. But the person inside who was awarding these contracts knew that they had a policy whereby any contracts that were less than $10,000, they just needed to get three bids, and they didn't have to have it approved by a second level of management. So what this person was doing was arranging with a certain vendor to have that vendor submit bids under $10,000 for work, for current work, but also have the vendor send in two other bids as shell companies. So it inflate those bid prices for those two shell companies, knowing the shell company was just the purpose of the shell company was to provide the person internally to meet policy. And then that person would award the actual vendor, the actual operational vendor, that award, and would get a kickback from that contract. So there's always ways to circumvent policies and procedures, but if no one's looking, those types of schemes can go undetected for years. Leo, we're going to take our next commercial break here on Critical Mass Coast to Coast Radio Show. Leo Munez, who is Director of Risk Advisory Services for Paget Stratamen, a CPA firm with other services in, uh, I think I heard you say, San Antonio and Austin, Texas, is our guest. And when we come back, I'm going to ask you to uh, help us to understand how can middle market CEOs deal with and try to prevent fraud from happening in their companies. So, ladies and gentlemen, stay tuned. We'll be back in less than three minutes after these words from our commercial sponsors. When it comes to pioneers in their respective industries, we all know the Apples, Starbucks, and Trader Joe's of the world. In the realm of recruiting, Decision Toolbox is the industry's best-kept secret. With 90% of their business from referrals and repeat customers, for over 20 years, Decision Toolbox's U.S.-based team of recruiters, sourcers, professional writers, quality personnel, and tech support has perfected a Six Sigma approach to talent management. No matter the size of the project, Decision Toolbox delivers incredible results. A cost per hire less than half of what contingency firms charge. With the winning candidate presented in an average of 14 days. All with a 12-month candidate warranty. With results like that, Decision Toolbox won't be a secret for long. Visit us at www.dtoolbox.com for more information. Richard Franzi is a highly sought-after keynote speaker on topics of interest to CEOs of middle firms across North America. 
Richard's talks include Killing Cats Leads to Rats, a fascinating look at how unintended consequences of CEOs' decisions impact their firm's performance. Your Gray Matter Matters, which explores how a CEO's mindset can differentiate a middle market firm and define its culture. Richard delivers talks to a variety of audiences, ranging from executive team retreats to keynotes in front of hundreds of CEOs. To learn more about his talks, visit criticalmassforbusiness.com and select the contact page or call 949-887-4104. Imagine what it would feel like to lose everything. Your job, your home, your family, your dignity. This has happened to thousands of the men, women, veterans, and young adults we serve at Working Wardrobes. What do we do to help? We provide career development services, life skills workshops, job skills training. We provide the perfect interview outfit, and we get clients placed in jobs. Call Working Wardrobes, 714-210-2460. Donate, volunteer, invest, hire. Welcome back to this edition of Critical Mass Coast to Coast. I am your host, Rick Granzi. Our audience demographic is 98% business owners and executives who listen to learn from the experiences of our guests. If your firm is interested in reaching these top decision makers, then advertising on our radio show may be the answer. Each month, our sponsors gain valuable exposure through their support of our program. Last month, we delivered over 30,000 highly targeted sponsor impressions. To learn more, contact our advertising department at 949 887 4104. Leo Munez is our guest. He's with Paget and Stratman. We've been talking about all things risk. And I'm wondering if you could share a little bit from your experience again on what CEOs of middle market companies can do to try to protect their firm against fraud. Uh, certainly. It also comes down to does a company have a, a solid internal control environment to ensure that any types of risk, any types of susceptibility to fraud are being mitigated in those processes and procedures. So if a company is lacking in policies and procedures, especially in high-risk areas where their assets or, or their their cash positions or any other types of valuable information can be absconded with, if they don't have any, any policies and procedures in place for those areas, then that's probably the first thing they need to consider in implementing policies and procedures whereby management is reviewing the transaction activity in those specific areas. What we find quite often after going through a, a fraud investigation in hindsight, looking through the gaps in, in how fraud was perpetrated, it always comes back to management was not looking, management was not reviewing certain things, or they were rubber stamping certain items, or they weren't protecting or securing their assets. The opportunity is there, and it needs to be closed to the best of their ability. So management really needs to take a look at their internal policies and procedures and, and management oversight over those high-risk areas or over their in, the entire organization if they have not done so. Uh, certainly there are external audits or internal audits that can be performed throughout the year. Unfortunately, sometimes companies place too much emphasis on the annual financial statement audit if they have one uh, because they think that external financial statement audits performed by CPA firms are geared 
to uncovering and, and detecting fraud, and that's not the case. They're they're just to opine on the reasonableness of financial statements within the material respect. So if there's a, a company that's making $10 million a year in revenues that's been audited, and someone is stealing $10,000 a year from them for the next five years, well, then their financial statements aren't materially off. It's just someone's taking $10,000 from them every year, and they're not and an audit's not going to, financial audit's not going to find that because it's based on a scope of materiality. So it's good to have audits that they do detect certain things, but the the policy or the activity that detects most fraud these days is a whistleblower hotline. If they don't have a whistleblower confidential hotline set up for for a few bucks, a few a few bucks of investment, maybe a thousand dollars a year, depending on the size, that's a solid investment. Because 43% of the fraud in a survey that was done by the Association of Certified Fraud Examiners last year, 43% of the cases were detected by a hotline. Oh, really? And only 3% were detected by audits. So if that's not in play, then I would highly recommend that they look into a confidential whistleblower hotline. And then training programs also help to train their employees to understand what fraud looks like, what the implications are, have a fraud policy if they don't have something in place that will dictate the procedures they will take if, in case any type of fraudulent behavior is, is found out. But it certainly comes down to strengthening that internal control structure within the organization and make sure that management is watching and they're not advocating their management role in that respect. It's easy to do when the focus is just on the operational side, which needs to be there to drive profits, to drive revenues. But if the accounting side and the support side is not looked at, the transactional side is not continually reviewed, that's when things happen. That's when the opportunity is in place for for people to perpetrate fraud within an organization. I'm speaking with Leo Munez. He's with Patchett Stradman in the great state of Texas, and we are talking about all things fraud and you know and Leo something you said which which I think is a challenge for small and middle market CEOs and that is to have proper internal controls that prevent uh, fraud from being you know from the opportunity of fraud to be committed because it, it, from what I've learned about especially employee fraud it, it, you know good people can go bad if you just put them in the bad situ in, a, in an uncontrolled situation long enough you know, things happen, and all of a sudden they may start small, and once they get away with it for a period of time, it keeps, you know, escalating almost to the point where they get hooked on it, and then it becomes just kind of a way of life. So, you know, what's your experience with how do middle market companies who don't maybe have the employee population to segregation of duties and internal controls and all that stuff, well, you know, what, what's a way to... If there's three places that they should make sure they have a fresh set of eyes looking at something... You know, and I'm, my sense is your answer is going to be it's around where cash is. But, you know, where should they make sure they don't give somebody both the opportunity and then the oversight that commit fraud? Well, that's that, that you're exactly right. That sometimes is a challenge for small to mid-sized businesses that may not have the, the resources of a large company to segregate those significant duties within the process. But they can certainly do things in their own environment to help mitigate any of those types of opportunities. You're right. A lot of times these fraudsters are 
are just regular people, their neighbors, their fathers, their mothers, only in that same survey I mentioned before, only 10% of the fraudsters, I mean, I'm sorry, only 90% of the fraudsters that were caught had no criminal record. So most of these are first-time offenders when they're caught. So the opportunity that is provided them, if the company can reduce that opportunity, certainly helps all parties involved. The, the, the areas to look at, certainly cash is one of them, and that's always at the top because that's where fraudsters go. That's where they try to uh, uh, scan with whatever cash or cash positions or cash transactions that company has. The other areas what we do is take a look at some of the high-risk areas within that company, accounts payable, where people have the, the opportunity to to set up shell companies or, or set up sham companies where they can submit invoices with, with technology today. It's easy to submit some invoices to the company system if no one is looking and have a check cut to your house. And if no one's looking and authorizing those invoices, sometimes that happens as well. The other places, employee expense reimbursements and payroll. And so, again, those are all areas where it, it's it's possible that cash can be taken from a company, whether it's through straight-out larceny or skimming off the cash right off the top or through a check, a, a false or, or fraudulent disbursement that's coming out of the company's checking account. One of the things that, that we do as a team sometimes to help companies out that have limited staff is we do, our team will, will put together procedures that specific, specifically go into those companies and, and review those areas. And as one of the owners commented the other day to me, he says, I just want them to know we're looking. <laughs> and, and we bring you guys in on a quarterly basis just to do some procedures in those areas. And number one, it does serve a purpose to review that things are going okay. Number two, it just lets people know within the company that Management is taking a, an intentional route to make sure that they know that we're looking. You know, it, it's unfortunately can be very uh, upsetting to a CEO to recognize who are who are the people that are actually stealing from them. You know, it's you're you're paying people to steal from you when when they commit fraud against you, and sometimes right. it's it's the late it's the not the you know it's the long term employee, the person that you trust who. Who, who's been with you for 20 years, who, yes. oh, Marge would never, and and exactly that's the person who, you know, it's not always the guy with the with the, with the the uh, ski mask on who's committing the crime. No, Maybe the, the sweetest, nicest, uh, long-term employee you've ever had. It it certainly is, and, and I've been in those situations too, and it's, it's interesting when... Fraud is detected by someone who has been in that trusted role to see the emotional impact on the, the victimized company, on the, the president or whoever the owner is. It's really the emotional hurt. And certainly the financial aspect is, is tough to swallow, especially as for small companies. In a lot of respects, that could bankrupt them, depending on how long the fraud was occurring. One in particular situation that I was involved in, included a trusted individual who unfortunately, for the company's sake, had access to all the accounting systems and over a 10-year period embezzled about a million dollars from a small company and this person and the owner were tight. They had a close personal relationship. 
but I could see you talked about the situation where a fraudster may take a little bit here, then take a little more next year, the following year. We typically see that stair-step scale of cash taken each year as a fraudster is successful in perpetrating a $1,000 embezzlement. They'll try 2000 5000 If they're getting away with it, they start up in the ante. Uh, but this person in, in particular, overinflated payroll, set herself up as a vendor, uh, set family members up as payroll uh, employees. So over the course of time, uh, she absconded with a little over a million dollars, and she is serving time right now. She's, she was prosecuted criminally. I'm so glad to hear you say that, Leo, not because I'm a vengeful person, but because uh, many of the reports that I've read, especially as it relates to middle market and small companies, many times the people who perpetrate the fraud really never get prosecuted because it just, for whatever reason, the local municipalities, police, whatever, it just doesn't make it to the point where there's energy behind prosecuting these individuals. Most times the companies are happy to get them out of the company, and then to remediate the problem that they had caused by the fraud. Is that your experience, right. too? Oh, that certainly is. One of the first things that, that I do whenever we start an investigation is I get with the decision makers of the company or, or whomever is involved, and I ask them point blank, what's your intent? What, what do you hope to achieve from this investigation? Do you want to prosecute criminally? Do you want to go after them in, in a civil matter? Do you want to try to get an out-of-court settlement, or do you want to just do nothing and just try to figure out how much was taken and then remediate from that standpoint and just terminate them? And it runs a spectrum on, on what people choose to do. On, in one case, especially with small companies, mid-sized companies, they don't want the publicity because they don't want their major customers to get wind that something's happening within their system, their processes that would cast a negative shadow on them going forward. At one particular company, manufacturing company, had a large grocery customer, and they were they they had fraud within their purchasing department. We uncovered it, and they said, well, we can terminate this person, but that's it. We don't want this getting out in the news that our major customer will see that and possibly doubt our processes, so that's where that one ended. <laughs> so that we see that quite a bit. Uh, we see that in cases where reputational risk is at stake. And, then, and that's why we don't hear about those types of situations in the news. And, and again, I'd venture to say that most fraud is never reported in, in the media. Leo, I wonder, do you, do you have an overall guess at how much fraud costs American business? It's about 5% of revenue, and, and global revenue, it's, it's well over the, in the trillion um, dollar amount. That's, again, that's a survey from the Association of Certified Fraud Examiners that comes out every other year. It's a survey that dissects actual fraud cases over the two-year period and dissects it in every which way you, you could possibly think of. But that metric is, has been constant from... 2006, when I first started reading those surveys, it's been about a 5% of revenue. So that's that's about what they estimate companies lose worldwide on revenue. It's, it's a staggering amount when you think of worldwide revenue. So so CEOs and business owners of middle market companies, if, if someone came to you with a way to improve your profit by 5%, because this fraud is coming right out of your profit, 
you right. would probably be interested in buying that software package or whatever that might be that would improve your business to 5% profit, giving you 5 more percent profit. And that's 5%. That's not 5% of your profit. That's 5% of your revenue. I mean, that's huge. I mean, that, that's huge. That's right. I mean, and it's, unfortunately, it's not 5% because if you're the victim of fraud, you're getting hit for much more than 5% of your profitability. But when you smooth that out over all the businesses, it ends up being 5% of everybody, which is, that's an astronomical number. That is. It's not just the, what you lose. It's the cost and time to investigate it or to, to remediate it. To, to pay for fees like folks like me coming in to help you out. <laughs> We're not working for free. So it's, 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 the attorneys are involved if it's a civil or criminal matter. So it's, you're exactly right. It's 5% of revenue plus. It's money well spent, though, to have someone like you come in. And, and you know, you said that earlier about one of your clients having you come in on a quarterly basis. I mean, I, I think that's almost the best practice is to uh, tone at the top. You need to put the processes in place, too. You just can't be a paper tiger. But if you need to put processes in place and then demonstrate to your employees that you're that unfortunately, or you have to watch them and you trust everybody, but you need to verify that there's no fraud in the business because in the end, if it's if it's so detrimental to the business that it puts the business out of business, then those employees who aren't stealing from you are out of work. So it's for everybody's good that you have strict controls on you know fraud in your business. That's exactly right. The company can't do much about what what an employee is going through personally or how they can rationalize behaviors, but they certainly have the ability to reduce that opportunity and not have that employee think they can't perpetrate the fraud no matter what's going on in their home life. You know, final observation, Leo, I'll get your opinion on this, and then we're going to conclude this uh, interview. You've been fascinating. I, I appreciate you giving us so much of your insight, but it it is you said rationalize. It is interesting the stories that I've read, the anecdotal stories that I've heard, that employees watch the boss and they see the boss do something, maybe get a new car and it's on the, you know, the company pays for it. All of a sudden, they start saying, well, if she can do that, then it's okay for me to take $1,000 for my kids' braces. Yes. That's exactly right. There, there's all sorts of rationalization, but that is that does happen quite a bit. We, we hear about a fraudster rationalizing their behavior because, hey, I have not received a, a raise in three years, and certainly in the 2008 time frame when the recession hit, there weren't a lot of raises being given out to everybody. So we hear, we heard that type of rationalization. It's owed to me. I should be making this much money, or so and so is making this, or someone so and so just bought this house or bought this car. So. I think I am entitled to a little extra amount of cash. So the rationalization is, is a strong, a strong motivator, unfortunately, for people that commit fraud. In, in the example that you just made relating to the owner, that happens to quite a bit, especially in small businesses. Right, because they see it, and yeah, and I agree with you. I think the recession has, you know, because it, it it has put people many times in a personal financial situation where maybe before they would have never thought about it, but maybe their spouse lost a job or something's happened where now they're in an extreme personal situation and and they wouldn't have done it under normal situations, but it, you know, given the opportunity, right. they they will do it now. That's right. Okay. Well, Leo, if someone would like to learn more about your firm, how do they find you online? Our firm's website is www.paget, P-A-D-G-E-T-T, dash, 
cpa.com. And my profile is on there as well, so if someone wanted to get involved, in touch with me directly, uh, my profile is there as well as uh, my email address and my contact information. And the cities that your firm services are? We have offices in San Antonio, Texas, and in Austin, Texas, but we, we work wherever it works out. I've, I've gone to uh, the places out of the state depending on the project, so the work is out of the state, no problem, we travel. Well, Peter Broiler, who is our business partner and producer, and he is a business owner of Renaissance Executive Forums in San Antonio, has brought us a number of guests, and I tell most of them, if I were to live in Texas, there would be two cities that I would consider, Austin and San Antonio. They are beautiful cities, uh, and uh, very, I, I would, you know, I think they're one, they, they must be wonderful places to live, um, as opposed to maybe some of the other cities in Texas that maybe aren't as desirable. Yeah, they're both great cities. They're not too far apart, so I spend time in Austin as well. Like I said, we have an officer in Austin, so it's I can't complain between the two. Well, thank you for giving again of your expertise, being a friend of the radio show, and, and welcome to the Critical Mass community. Thank you again, uh, Leo Munoz. It's been a pleasure speaking with you today here on the radio show. Thank you very much, Rick. Pleasure. Have a good day. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we'll be right back to wrap up the show. But before we do that, we have just a few commercials that I'd like you to listen to. So don't go anywhere. So I have something very interesting to say on the other side of this commercial break. When it comes to pioneers in their respective industries, we all know the Apples, Starbucks, and Trader Joe's of the world. In the realm of recruiting, Decision Toolbox is the industry's best-kept secret. With 90% of their business from referrals and repeat customers, for over 20 years, Decision Toolbox's U.S.-based team of recruiters, sourcers, professional writers, quality personnel, and tech support has perfected a Six Sigma approach to talent management. No matter the size of the project, Decision Toolbox delivers incredible results. A cost per hire less than half of what contingency firms charge. With the winning candidate presented in an average of 14 days. All with a 12-month candidate warranty. With results like that, Decision Toolbox won't be a secret for long. Visit us at www.dtoolbox.com for more information. Smart Business Network is a business-to-business multimedia company providing insight, advice, and strategy for C-level executives of fast growth, middle market, and large companies. As one of the nation's largest publishers of local management journals, under the Smart Business name, Smart Business Network publishes 19 regional print editions, presents dozens of large and small-scale business conferences and award programs, and produces a vibrant interactive digital media presence. For more information, visit us at www.sbnonline.com. There's something uniquely positive about the word up. When things are good, things are looking up. When you want to go fast, you speed up. And when you're really cheering, you stand up. So when you want to move up, what do you do? Well, when it comes to getting your bachelor's degree or master's degree, there's one university that stacks up better than virtually everyone else. And that university is Brandman. Brandman University is ranked by U.S. News and World Report as one of the nation's top ten universities for online bachelor's programs. And it ranked best in the state of California. Brandman also received top honors from U.S. News and World Report for our online graduate programs in business and education. 
Plus, our programs are available on ground at more than 25 convenient campuses. So to wrap things up, we recommend you look us up at brandman.edu. That's brandman.edu. And find out how to move up like never before. Brandman University. Move up. Critical Mass Coast to Coast. I'm your host, Rick Franzi, and I'd like to say, I told you I had something important to say on the other side of the break, and for those of you that were uh, willing to stay around, just want to let you know that our engineer, Paul Roberts, last week witnessed a miracle. He is now a grandfather of a, a big boy that his daughter uh, and had, and uh, he was lucky enough to be able to uh, see that baby firstborn, which is an amazing thing. So there you go. Wasn't that worth the wait? Uh, I hope that today's show and the talk that we had about fraud helped you appreciate as a CEO of middle market companies how important internal controls and delegation of duties can be to the survival and success of your firm. I'd like to thank our business partners at Renaissance Executive Forums, especially Peter Broiler from San Antonio, who brought us our guest today. Uh, Renaissance is an international organization. It's committed to helping members take their businesses to the next level. If you'd like to learn more about Renaissance Executive Forums, then visit their corporate website at executiveforums.com. This show is brought to you by our advertisers, Brandman University, Commercial Bank of California, Decision Toolbox, Smart Business Magazine, Succession Strategies, and Center Club. Our engineer for today's show is Paul Roberts. Our producer is Crystal Nunley. Our guest coordinator, Kathleen Shepard. Our social media manager is Asia Celestino. And I'm your host, Rick Franzi. Until the next show, I hope all of your business decisions will move your company in a positive direction. You've been listening to Critical Mass Coast to Coast Radio Show, business talk show focused on exploring topics of interest to CEOs who are leading middle market companies. With your host, Richard Franzi. 